0: So let's start with something historical first. Yes, sir. You used to work in, 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 in an office environment. Yes. Let's let, let Since this is long for me, and I hope you have at least 45 yeah, for me, yeah, talk to me uh, I want my audience and the jiu jitsu world to uh, get a little bit deeper about who you are. Sure. So, what was la- the last office job before you said, fuck it,
1: leave it? <sighs> okay. Because I dabble still, um, I run social media accounts for different clients. Sure. And I have found that the hardest part about doing that is, you know, you get in this mode of wanting to help people and you say like, oh man, I want to help you accomplish your goals because I've done this on my own. I've done this for other clients. And when they start yelling back at you and you're like, why are you yelling at me? I'm helping you, you know? And you're just like, this is stupid. It's like, I've worked for producers for shows where they yell and you go, oh, well, you know, we are trying to put on a show. So it makes sense. These people are yelling at you just because they don't know how to do something. And so they let their insecurities show. So I want to say one of my last desk jobs was, um, God, this just, I was working for a lighting fixture place and I was helping them with their social media. And this woman actually got mad that somebody wasn't doing a job for them because she was pregnant. And she was like, um, it's been three days. Okay. So she should be responding to us. And I was like, are you serious? This woman, like you wouldn't hear from me for two months if I had a kid. And I realized this woman is jealous of a baby. And I said, "You know, the attention." I, I, yeah, just the fact that she couldn't get what she wanted from her uh, client that she needed to get something out of it. And I just thought that's a terrible human being. You know, it's one thing to say we, we got business. We make plans. I'm sure this person didn't just fall off the face of the earth. She just wanted what she wanted. And I was like, I need to get out because these people are awful. So, right. It was one of the worst, worst jobs. But, yeah, I've had terrible jobs. I love like this. I like doing things that I think further give me some sort of talent. And sometimes I've even taken jobs where I go, I don't know that this is gonna help me as a podcaster or a broadcaster or a host, but I always try to pull something out of it. So there there have been jobs where I've just been like, Man, that sucks. But working for NBC, one of the best experiences of my life. Okay, are down.
0: you still currently working for NBC? I am not.
1: Oh, okay. Do you know why? Because Jimmy Fallon took a show away from us.
0: Mm. I used
1: to work for the Tonight Show. I worked for both Conan and Jay. So I worked the end of Jay, beginning of Conan, end of Conan, beginning of Jay, end of Conan, or end of Jay. So I, I was there for five years through that late night wars. And it was awkward because I'm one of only five people who worked. And, and I was in an insignificant area. Um, but it was enough where it was just like you were afraid to mention if you worked for Conan, if you were with Jay's people, and you were afraid to bring up Jay if you were seeing Conan's friends. So fortunately, I didn't matter enough where it was just like, everybody's like, that's yeah, fine, you're fine. Um, but you were nervous just because it was so palpable that people didn't like each other and that real jobs were at stake. So yeah, w- again, amazing experience. I got to write jokes for Jay eventually. Uh, a lot of them got on air, so it was really dope. And then I started taking the jokes he didn't take, and I started doing my own shows off of that uh, based in late night comedy.
0: Uh, because, you know, the, the interesting thing is uh, also doing stuff for Sirius in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there are three things that I notice about comedy. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't they don't understand that the pie is so big. Mm-hmm. There's enough for everyone to go around. So that's what I've experienced with stand up comics. Yeah. Where there's this hatred and beef that's automatically put up.
1: Well, also, one of my favorite things is you tell people like, oh, I work for Jane Leno. And they go, I like Conan better. And I go okay, I work for Conan too. And they're like, oh yeah, Conan's great. And I go, well, they're both really good at what they do. Of course. Even if it's not what you like, you know, Conan's a comic genius. Jay's got one of the best paces for a comic. He went through 24 monologue jokes a night. Nobody does that anymore. You're lucky if you get seven or eight monologue jokes. Now they do these like essays that they read as, uh, late night comedy when they open their monologue and it's it's okay, it's just different but Jay could actually do it and whether you like the jokes or not, that pace was just like monstrous at his age just nobody does that.
0: Right, and then they they, they run out of like, how can I be contrarian because he just said Jay and Conan and I was trying to be contrarian Well
1: then they're like, I like Jon Stewart, I was like, I love Jon Stewart too, like I'm a fan of late night comedy period, right because I think what it's at it's best supposed to be doing is you finish your day you're tired, you're exhausted, you want something that's going to make you laugh. And people have so many different ways of making themselves laughs, whether it's uh, watching Cartoon Network and having Adult Swim make you laugh or reruns of The Office that make you laugh. Um, For me, I have such an appreciation for these creative individuals who just put on content night after night. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. Um, So I I met amazing people that I just, uh, man, just looking at what they did, their approach to it, It was like a machine, dude. Right. So that you could never complain. You're like, I'm tired. I have a writer's block. And you look at everybody else being like, shut up, kid. More jokes. And you go, all right. Yeah, I should be funnier today. Okay.
0: And and do you find, like, we just had this conversation yesterday on the show, like, between music producers and DJs and how it compliments. Mm -hmm. But did you find, like, you know what? I got to let go of stand-up comedy because I got to concentrate on this writing thing. Or was it more of, like, symbiotic, but you had to change the percentage of doing both.
1: So I started doing stand up and I loved it. And the thing I didn't love about wanting to go further in it was I don't want to travel. Sure. I don't want to, you know, tell people like, Hey, come see me at this casino in two weeks. There's an art to it. I love it. I appreciate it. But then I started doing these podcasts and I found people were coming to me. And if I booked a certain guest, sometimes they wouldn't know who I was, but eventually they'd start to get to know me. And whether they knew me or not, the guests themselves would experience something where they say, I wanna come back on. I like what you do. I don't know what it is, but you're you're good at it. And I was always like, great, yeah, you don't have to know the magic. You just have to know at the end, you liked it for some reason. And it gave me, because I had all these reps in both stand up and doing speech and debate as a kid, um, that gave me the opportunity to, when I was have them in my sights or on a show, I would get to do comedy in a different way with them. And that would excite me because every guest or every interview is like another chance of saying, what makes this guy interesting? And how do I get people to know something about this guy that they didn't know before?
0: Sure. And that's the biggest uh, battle between like radio and podcasting. Mm-hmm. Like with, pos- with podcasting, if you don't go deep, maybe you should go to like seven-minute seven breaks and try radio.
1: And the beautiful part about that is the late-night format is getting a guest on for seven and seven. So you have those panel interviews where they come and they're like, oh my God, my new movie is amazing. And you go, mm mm-hmm, all right, I'm here for two minutes to really get some meat out of you. For sure. And they're so publicist-based. So that's when I started finding, I was like, okay, I really think this podcast format works for me. And then I love the ability to just think of something and it's out. Whereas with comedy, you're refining, you're refining, you're refining, you have to wait to go to a club. You might be able to do it that night, but you spend like three months- Harnessing a good five minute set to really have it honed down and you never lose those five minutes But you keep building and building and saying like all right now it's done I think of something in the morning I think of doing a sketch about George St. Pierre and it's out and then I do the voice of George St. Pierre on a uh, podcast And then it's like a bit you've done a skit that you would normally do in late night that would take forever to get up
0: Yeah, which the satiation as a creative sometimes you just want to move on to the next This is my moment. I want to put it out Once it's out, now I can think about the next.
1: Absolutely, and you drive yourself insane if you don't keep creating and doing more and more and more. Because I know that once I I put something out, I watch it like twice, and I go, okay, here's the notes of how I do it better. Here's the notes of maybe if it worked or it didn't, I can evaluate it. And then you know that next day I'm like, all right, well, what's the next thing? What am I gonna do next? Who do I pull on? What's the next sketch we're doing?
0: The one thing I want to do give you credit on, um, when I shot, like we both interviewed Hicks on Gracie, mm-hmm. but uh, where I gotta give you props on, you were you. Mm. Well, when I was hired by, <sighs> mm. you have to be to a yep style yep, and I couldn't be me because like my interview with Eddie Bravo was completely different versus Hicks yeah. on or Master Jean jocks. absolutely, and I don't even know if I could if I was at that point where I could change myself to be myself with (laughs) Master Jean Jacques. You know what I mean? Because it's like they they come from this stature. But now that I'm 44, I can just be myself but without being too edgy on disrespecting a jiu-jitsu master.
1: So what helped it, and this is, I guess, breaking part of the background of it. Okay. um, I was sent there originally to do an article for Jits Magazine. Sure. They were very nice. They asked me to go do it. And they're like, hey, could you interview Hickson? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. What What do you mean, could I? This is a no-brainer. I'm going. When? How? I got down to go interview Hickson, and I told him, I said, hey, man, I really want to get to the deep and the core of what you are. And so for the article, I said, hey, I want to do two interviews. The first is going to be an audio interview where I talk with you. I'm going to pull that out for the actual article that I'm writing about you. The second part is just more a little more relaxed. We're an MMA comedy channel. So have fun with us. Sure. And you're thinking to yourself, like, he's not known for doing bits. He's not known for being like, yeah, Hickson uh, knows this joke very well. Wait until I tell you guys punchline. This is the aristocrats. And you're like, no, that's not how he works. So instead I did this two hour interview where I let him talk about what he wanted to talk about. And then he exhausted himself. And then I got to ask him questions that I think got him a little bit deeper. And by the end of the interview, He shook my hand. He was like, that was amazing. And I was like, I have his trust. So now I can really try and like test that out. And I said, Hey, you know, I want to do an interview with you. Would you mind sitting on these bounce balls? And he goes, yeah, of course I would love to. That would be great. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's actually doing comedy with me. And at one point he tells a joke on there and I was like, who is this man? Right. I got him to start being funny. So I think it's a matter of relaxing your guests and earning their trust. And once you do something, and it's not the same for everybody, but you got to find it. I like to say within the first 10 minutes, if I get your trust, you're going to start doing things that you probably aren't doing on other shows. But for him, it was a legendary moment for me. And I think it established a certain amount of credibility on one side. And it also said like, hey, if you do an interview with me, it's not going to be the same as everybody else's. I'm going to do something a little fun with these sure. guys that like take them out of their world. and. Uh, you know, Hickson and I run into each other every once in a while, and it's very nice. He always comes up and says hello, and I'm always like, yeah, you know, that trust from five years ago still exists. That's amazing. Totally,
0: yeah. We're we're gonna end up maybe working on a project. Um, rhymes with, <laughs> uh, okay. but. I, I, I'm working something out to where, uh, do you follow Joe Coy? Yes. Do you know who Andrew Schulz is? Yes. Okay, so these are guys who, uh, for you listening and watching, uh, these are guys who, uh, it, o- it almost like they blew up via counterculture. They had to put out their own money, mm-hmm. put out their own projects. Netflix said no to Joe twice, and he was worried about the timeliness of the joke. Mm-hmm. Put out their own stuff, spend his money. Andrew Scholes got rejected, but everyone blew up through YouTube. And the the one thing that I feel with with, what I'm super critical about is people who uh, don't know the craft. And I'm critical to myself because I'm forever a white belt. I get injured after four months of training. Never fails. Two, three months, boom, I get injured. Mm -hmm. But but for you, when you interview people, do you actually get into this mode where it's like, you know what? I'm actually going to be learning something for this person about jujitsu or are you more concentrated on just reeling information out
1: it's difficult in this in that good i'm glad you said that it is because i don't i don't overthink it i do my preparation but um when i talk about doing reps i did something called forensics which is speech and debate i got recruited for two different schools um one for my undergrad and one for grad school for the undergrad we won national championships for the very first time for our school i did very well for myself But I just, I learned so much, like that was me drilling arm bars, but the equivalent of that for interviewing. So that anytime I meet somebody, I've already kind of met a number of different personalities. So when I meet somebody, it's always like, all right, how do I make you interesting? What do I do? I've already done this research. I know if you're going to tell a story that's too similar to something I've already heard somewhere else, I got to steer you left or I got to bring you right, or I've got to bring you somewhere a little unique and different. So I kind of approach it with what I tell the guys whenever they're, like, competing. I say, just think of the way that you approach competition as the way I approach interviewing. I watch my tapes. I take it very seriously. But then I have to be loose enough to be funny. Because if you're so serious, you're just not going to get connect with people on a human level. Sure. So I come in with as much preparation as possible, and then I, I I hit a certain point, and I say stop. And then I just literally look at them, and I say, how do we become – on a human level, people who would be having this conversation inside or out of the studio. And like, I just did an interview the other day. And there was a guest who I didn't know if we'd make a full 40 minutes. You know, I was like, I don't know. It's kind of iffy. Totally. He's a really nice guy. And I was like, it's not his fault. I got to be better. Right. And at one point he told me, he's like, dude, I love playing poker. And I was like, why don't I know this? He's like, yeah, if I've competed at the World Series of Poker. And I was like, why have you never talked about this? He goes, oh, I like to keep it quiet. And I was like, He's told me this is dope. And I'm like, dude, I'm a compulsive gambler that just doesn't. I want to bet on everything. Every time I walk in somewhere, I just make odds in my own brain. And it was him being like, after we get off the show, he's like, dude, I'd love to play poker with you sometimes. I was like, I'll take your money anytime. I have no problem with that. (laughs) Uh, But it it was such a great surprise. So I allow myself to just let go and be surprised by the person. So it's less like... An aggression. It's more like, I don't know if I'm going to learn. Because you don't always learn from people. Um, and sometimes they're so nervous that they go into an area of shtick that their buddies or their training partners are like, you're hilarious. And they tell these really hacky jokes. And then they'll tell it to me. And I go, okay. Go, you didn't think that was funny? I was like, right. I mean, you know. You want know, a gold star? Do you want me to pity laugh? Would you give me a pity arm bar? Like, I, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I understand you're telling the joke. It's just... It's old, you know, so we try to get them to break ground and do something fun and new and different. And I think the best way to be funny is to just learn how to be yourself. If you have an ownership of who you are and what you do, you can tell me the oldest joke in the book. But if you're 100 percent you, I'm going to go, man, that was funny. Good on you. That was awesome.
0: See, for for people who are listening and watching like Nate, do you see how Roth just gives – I can ask, like, one question and I'm just going to let him go. Yeah. It, it, it's our responsibilities as on your talent. Like yes. someone, if someone has the desire to interview you, mm-hmm. you better fucking bring it.
1: I got to tell you this. Uh, Martin Short is, like, I don't know that I've loved everything he's done. Like, he's funny. He's amazing. He's a legend. He was on SCTV. He's done a thousand movies. But the thing he's known best for in our industry is that if you bring him on as a guest on any late-night talk show— this man, and I've heard it's legit. I don't know it is, but I've heard metaphorically, he has files that he has to talk about when he goes on these shows. So he preps for these shows. I like As to he think, guessed, yes, to
0: emphasize that to the listeners. Yes, listen.
1: because if you go on a show, if you go on Letterman, that's your opportunity to do seven and seven. So you got fourteen minutes to just kill. And you can make a career out of that. So when I go on other people's show, I'm like, all right, what do I want to talk about? How I'm going to be that Marty Short guest that just crushes and tells something that's new and different for you that you may not hear on a different show.
0: Right. Like I did copious amounts of research, mm-hmm. and you know, just like been I'm multi topical, so I'll talk about beats, yeah. I'll talk about food, and everything. And in the end, it's almost like prep to honor the lineage of interviewing. Yes. But after question one, sometimes you just got to let it fly.
1: There have been times when I was like, I just, I looked at like, say a note card or just some research or just some chicken scratch. And I go, we didn't talk about any of this. And you know what? We were better for it. And you just throw it out. So I don't even like, I don't even write down things anymore. Okay. With Jay-Z, Jay-Z famously says, he's like, I'm just one take. I just go in there and spit freestyle, the rhymes done and so. I freestyle. I'm like, because of the reps that I've done, that's what I do. I just absorb. So I listen to podcasts and I'll hear them on other shows. And then I just mentally catalog it so that when I see them the first time, I'm like, yo, didn't you just compete at this one thing? And they're like, yeah, I did. Thank you for bringing that up. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, you didn't talk about that. Let's talk about that.
0: Right. Well, I, I've done four different shows and probably a lot older than you. Know. <laughs> uh, I've I've booked like um, a food group mm-hmm. thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about DJing. Mm-hmm. You know, because I belong to the Adam Carolla generation. It was four or five topics instead yeah. of one topic, yep. one show, five times a week. And and with, with this particular um, interview, I was like, well, we could talk to Jitsu, but I think I'm going to save that for later. Sure. You know, because I, I think there's, there's an important story to share with folks because going for it to become a writer and a stand-up comic just to experience it, People don't leave the nine to five mentality. Did you had to, was that an easy transition for you?
1: It depends. You know, sometimes it's really easy to do um, and it ebbs and flows because jujitsu isn't a stable business, period. You see a lot of these athletes, they don't know how to monetize themselves. And even with some of our sponsors that I work with um, in the past, I mean, the sponsors we got now are great, love them. But in the past, we've had sponsors that you're just kind of like doing talks with and you're going. I'm just trying to ask you for a few extra dollars. You know what I mean? Sure. And there's not a livable wage in jiu for a number of people. So when I hear these athletes being like, I don't make any money. And I was like, how much do you think I make covering you then?
0: Exactly. You're the talent. You know what I mean? Right? Good luck
1: for you. And it's not like I'm bad at my job. So, you know, it's difficult in that sense. So one of the things that I do love about this, though, is it allows me to go train. It allows me to go... And I just, when I'm sitting at a desk, I'm thinking about performing or doing this. So I try to multitask. I do my best to honor my commitments whenever I do, you know, segue back and forth. And that's the difficult part is, you know, sometimes you are taking jobs just to be like, listen, I just need this for like three months. And then I need to get out of here because uh, you guys, food. you know what I mean? And I tell people, I'm like, yo, I'm just paying the rent. That's what I'm doing here. Um, But for the most part, like, I'm just honest with people. Like, when I take these independent contract jobs, I tell them, I'm like, hey, listen, this is the amount of time we should work together. I've helped Ghost write a book where the guy's like, okay, I mean, you're really good. So I'm writing jokes for him. I'm doing all this research for him and and compounding everything. And it's just not as fulfilling as going and in interviewing somebody and crushing it. It's just my goal, my end goal, is to get us in jiu-jitsu on cable sports. I want a one. Thirty-minute, uh, you know, kind of show that you can do. Sure. Because we talk about Tom Brady going to the Super Bowl for nine months, and that's, that's not- annoying to me. Because I'm like, yeah, he's probably gonna win. Good for him. I mean, he's great. He's obviously really good. Can we tell you, like about like Gordon Ryan and Bucicca? Because I think that's exciting. I want to see that match. Give me five minutes to talk about that and let's see if people are excited.
0: But do you feel, because it seems like MMA is rising, but I also feel like they self-plateau. Does the yeah. MMA need to pave the way first or do you feel Jiu-Jitsu as an entity itself? Maybe it's, it's that 30-minute show that you're great talking question.
1: about. The thing I think is a constant struggle is grappling has one of the best selling points that we don't use. Okay. Please enlighten. Okay. MMA can only work to really one or two quadrants. So certain age groups, right? Grappling is a family event. Your mom can do it. Your uncle can do it. Your kids can do it. Everybody, every age can do it. And yet, if you took that to a marketing person who really, really just said, my job is only to make grappling work, they'd be like, wait, we're in four quadrants. How the hell are we not making this a bigger thing? The hard part is selling the excitement of it. And MMA has a lot more knockouts. There's a lot more submissions. When you get the highest profile people to go up against each other, we have a lot of athletes who are black belts who get very self-conscious about, I don't want to lose. Because we put such an emphasis on don't lose. And that's why you see at IBJJF when people go, how come they're not doing this and this doesn't make any sense? I don't really fault the athletes but I make a list of these guys who I think are always reliably exciting, win or lose. And if I put things together, they're my first call. If somebody's asking, hey, who should we put on? I say, this guy. Because I say, for TV purposes, for us going further, those are the guys. And it's tough because every athlete is fighting for their shot and I don't beseech them for you know trying to put themselves forward. But I really feel our biggest underutilized aspect is taking the fact that you can get these mom and dads and these kids and, and sell it to that place because kids can compete against each other and it's perfectly fine. And we just haven't cracked that threshold. We don't agree on rules. There's no unified rule set in grappling. There's gi versus no gi. There's uh, you know, do you want time limit? Do you want points? everybody wants to get into these minutiae where I just try to support everything. I try to support if it's Gi. I try to support if it's no Gi. I'm, every time somebody puts up a new event, I try to reach out to them. I, I make a really earnest event or offer to just say like, hey, come on my show, talk about it. You may not know me, but I'd love for you to talk about your event because I think that little bit that you put as a foundation helps to get us uh, a little bit more exposure, even if it's uh, you can take those clips and do it somewhere else or someone sees you on my show and they bring you on their show, whatever it is that helps at the end of the day.
0: But was it your first time doing uh, coverage with Donna Gonzalez?
1: So that was so last week. Yes, it was my first time doing commentary with her. I've done commentary. Okay for a number of different events um it was my first time working with her and you know it's kind of funny because she was a podcaster too sure so it was uh with becky
0: dominguez right called yes, math, therapy. math therapy and that's
1: dunzo um i think they're on a hiatus okay i think they are maybe going to do something in the future i don't know if it's going to be a different branding or they're going to do something there donna's always going to be involved in jujitsu and sure becky's awesome so uh i just i always say this i actually brought them on our show too um uh, we have a pay-per-view picking segment that we do where um i put them up against my co-host and uh it's really just an excuse to get our friends together you know if you brought on your guest the one time and they've already done the origin story episode sure then it becomes do they have a super fight do they want to do this sometimes i'm like listen i don't care if they have a super fight or not i just want to talk fights with them and most people when you do preview shows they suck when they get in there, they go, I think this guy's going to win because I think that he punches good. Bunchers. Oh, really smart analysis right. there. Right. Great job. So I decided, I was like, let's bring him on and let's make it like a game show format where I give him 15 seconds. And really all I'm looking for is trash talk between the two of them. And if they do that, we've succeeded and we're in an entertaining show. And the, the guests that we get are very funny and everybody's pretty game to always talk trash. We had Drew Dover, who's a UFC fighter this man came out guns blazing because he's just competitive. Sure. And when he was making fun of my co-host, we got off the air and I was like, oh my God, Drew Dover! oh God, you were vicious. I'm a comic and nothing can insult me, but my word. And you your co-host good. was game
0: though, and receiving, oh, okay.
1: He, you know, on air, he was like, ah, but afterwards he and I, like Drew gets off the line and we're like, yes, that worked, that was so funny. And then we bring them on the next week to find out who wins and whatnot. So we brought uh, the girls from Math therapy on and they crushed it. And Donna is somebody I have an immense respect for, but yeah, it was the first time I've gotten to do commentary with her and I'm very proud. We, um, we did very well. She got to, she normally does the broadcaster role job and I got to play that role for her and she got to be a color commentator. More, yeah. More color commentary. And I was so happy that it was a, something that she had told me just on our drive down. We drove down together, and we were talking about what we kind of envisioned. We were mostly just catching up, and then she mentioned, she's like, yeah, I'm always first chair. And I was like, let me be first chair. And I said that to her right before we got on air, and she was like, dope. And I got to hear her talk about what she knows about the grappling side from 10th Planet's understanding of moves. And I thought, you know, that got to show her in a different light, and I felt very proud of that. And as a result of that and the many matches that were there, this is now the most successful Ultimate Matt Warriors that they've had so far. So it's a steady sign of growth. It's a steady sign of maybe some of our fans tuned in. It's a steady sign of everything coming together and working, and a true testament to whatever Boogie is putting out there and and getting people excited about it. So I was just happy. You know, it's nice to see those uh, numbers rise.
0: Uh, I'm envious of that. Uh, I'm starting a pod, not really for me, but for these Jean-Jacques, this John Jock purple belt and black belt, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Ariola the black belt and the purple belt, Sam. Okay, And it's, it's still in the grooming stage. But I was telling them, it's like, just put it out and yeah. learn, l- learn from it. Just put it yeah. out. Let's put it out. We have this studio. I'll, I'll put everything. Just go for it.
1: It's hard to get people to let go. I feel that everybody gets really nervous um, because they might be judged. And it's, it's difficult because we live in a very judgmental culture. I have people who send in notes on my memes and I go, that's nice. Thank you. Wow. You know, it's adorable that you want to give me notes, but no. And even when we were doing the commentary, we had uh, trolls who were in there. And the beautiful part about trolls that I truly love is they forget I have the microphone. When I have the microphone, my voice is amplified. Their voice is only amplified if I make fun of them and I get the last word. So it's always beautiful to see them struggle on their keyboards and doing like, oh i'm gonna get you and then they like work so hard and then i look at them I'm like that's stupid yeah you worked really hard on that joke
0: so uh, to make it a little bit societal also mm-hmm. um i'm experiencing like social media burnout yes but a- as we're both on the online world you have to accept it, and like you mentioned, you manage social media accounts. Mm-hmm. Do you are you less active on Facebook and on blogs and posts, and you just put out your content? That's when it? I
1: work for other people, I definitely am taking a break. You know, there's uh-huh. less stuff that I'll produce for myself. I, I found this with um, jujitsu memes. I actually stopped making as many memes as I used to because everybody does the same joke. They'll be like, "Blah blah blah," punchline, footlock that's not funny, you know, like, and I'm not going to criticize them for their ability to do it. I'm just going to like, you guys do that. I'm going to take the outside track. Sure. And the difference why people do memes, everybody has a different reason. I do them so that they become a conversation facilitator on our podcast. Cause you put out a meme, you put out something that's a raw expression of what you're feeling and what you're thinking and the jokes there. So there is an, uh, a construction of how you put together that joke. But for us, it's just the beginning part. So if somebody's seen our memes and they don't know who we are, if they really become part of the funnel, they then become part of our show. So those people, once they're in, they don't leave. They listen to our show, they're in, and I notice our numbers rise when we do more memes. The hard part is I just look at all of them and we're in an ad saturation part where I go, oh God, I don't, I don't want to do that meme. I don't want to do that. That's too boring. But it's only because I've concentrated so much more on doing these interviews that I say I'm going to come in with memes when I've got something that I think is sure. funny and different, and uh, I'm going to support the guys who I think have really creative and outside stuff. Um, because I've always felt like anytime I saw somebody else's memes, that's why I love Instagram stories—the ability to share and give credit to the person without taking it as mine. Because I would be the first person if somebody who was just starting to meme, I'd be like, put a watermark on that, and they'd be like, why? And I go you'll never see it again. And you're going to get people who are going to take credit for that joke and they're going to try and steal it from you. Do not do that. So I've just tried to always be a voice and some of them have gone on to do better numbers than us. And I have no problem with that. It's just, I don't want to put out quantity versus quality. Yeah. And what I'm
0: learning is, you know, I'm going to put something out when I feel like it Yeah, because it's all healthier for me.
1: Yeah, dude, you got to do that. And I think you're right in the area of the social media burnout can affect your other work. So don't Everything. let it affect it. Yeah, well, for me, like.
0: You're you're good at a, uh, sh- uh, basically putting it in its own sector of I, like, life. I, I like to in think of section. it like
1: this. As much as I love jujitsu and comedy and broadcasting, I have a puppy and a wife. And, you know, I'll sit there explaining something to her. I literally got this little thing, this adapter that goes to my phone that I can podcast more off of my phone with. It's $10, but I can use the same microphone I use for my podcast. And I was going on and explaining it to her for 10 minutes. And I was just like, this is amazing. I can't believe I bought it off Amazon. Now I can do more work and I can go more places and do more interviews. And she's like, that's nice, honey. He was like, oh, I'm boring you. That's right. Because it's only interesting to me. And I was like, absolutely. I got to turn this off and I got to just sit here and watch family feud with her and just take a few moments off. And those are the great reminders of that.
0: But but uh, your wife has is is she did she attempt to try and play around with jujitsu or no
1: she likes to tell people and bust my balls in front of everybody and say oh he would never let me go and I was like that's false I would love if you do this because then you'd understand so I usually call her out on it no she's really good about saying you do your thing and yeah she gets into that place that I think most spouses get into where they go you're always at jujitsu oh my god you're always at jujitsu. But I think once she saw in my life there was a turnaround when I was starting to do it way, way more. I went from just those two times a week to really going five to seven times a week or then sometimes double sessions. She saw what a noticeable difference it made in making me more peaceful, making me Mm. more mindful. And that when I did come home and granted, I'd be gone for a while because I wouldn't just go. Sometimes I'd be going and interviewing people. Um, sometimes you'd be going and then coming back and then being like, I'm so tired. But she noticed that when I wouldn't go, she's like, you're a little grumpy now. Mm, you could stand to go.
0: Interesting. So she'd
1: actually, one time she came up to me, handed my bag to me and just goes, yeah, you can go. And I was like, oh, should I? She goes, yeah, you're a little insufferable right now. So go blow off some steam and have some fun. And I was like, that's really cool. And so. Yeah, of course. Just like with any couple, you have your ups and downs. I'm like, oh, you're training too much. But she is very supportive of me. Um, she always is just like, she'll ask and she'll you know put up the questions of like, so what was different about jiu-jitsu today? And I appreciate that. But the fact that she couldn't have less to do with it makes it so nice that when we are unplugging, I've learned to be better about focusing my time with her. And uh, like I said, once we got this puppy, we got this puppy a year and a half ago it's just changed our lives. This puppy's so adorable. We work really hard. I wanted to show her. I was like, oh, I'm a good dad to this puppy. Sure. You know? And so it's brought out a really cool different side that, you know, she's seen me where I go, I'm not going to go train tonight. And she's like, why? I like, I got to take care of the dog. It's like, we didn't walk her. I didn't have enough time. I got to go do this. And she's like, it's cool to see you're responsible and that I know how hard it is for you not to go train. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm going crazy in my brain.
0: So having the puppy has that, kind of cut a little bit a day or two from training? Uh, I mean
1: especially at the very beginning at the very beginning I didn't want to leave the puppy alone now all my friends are like bring the puppy with you and I was like no no I don't want to bring the puppy with me I don't want to make the, that weird right Um. but at the very beginning it did now the puppy I will say there's been maybe one or two maybe three times where I've had my bag on or I've had a rash guard on and the puppy like shoots me that look like you going to leave me? And you're melting already. And I'm like, no, don't look at me, please. I'm just, oh, God. And I've, I've literally two or three times. That's about it for a year and a half. That's not bad. But two or three times I've had my bag up. And I'm like, oh, fine. let's go play, puppy. That's fine. Your dad loves you. It's not like I wanted to work on half guard today. It's fine. But it's fulfilling in a very different way. And I find that overworking yourself Uh, is very detrimental. So I I try to listen to my body. I try to listen to signs like that. And uh, you know, I think it's made me a better person.
0: You can just blink twice if you want. But normally the pattern is get married, get a pet. And the next step is a kid, bro.
1: I think we're probably not going to do a kid. I think. Oh, yeah. We've we've softened people around to this idea. You have to understand, my mom's side had eight brothers and sisters for her. And I thought, well, especially being Mexican, it's like, well, I got to get to work. I'm not going to have like five kids already. Right. And I thought for years, I was like, I'm going to have a big family. I'm going to have a big family. And then it just became one of those things where your priorities change, things change. And I'm pretty content just having myself, my wife, um, we'd love it. And we've talked about it and we're just kind of in that space. And we just kind of say like, if it happens, it happens. Um, but I just think not putting pressure into it makes you make way better informed decisions and it makes you responsible. And to those who do that sort of stuff and maybe accidentally have a kids, it doesn't make them less or more. It doesn't make anything different. It's just you just make a different choice. So, like, I see these people who train sometimes just as much as I do who have kids. And I'm like, how are you doing this? Of course, right? Holy – Oh my god you're just you're crushing this i have no ex- i mean i can blame my dog but it's not a kid you know so yeah i, I think we've talked about it and i think maybe later at some point but we're good
0: uh, do you find yourself in training uh because you're so involved also with so many different jujitsu facets D- does um, it skew for you to go you know i thought i was a giga but i might be going a little bit on this no <laughs> gee trip now
1: I like to think of it like this. I will train whatever, whatever people have. So if it's geek, cool, I'll train geek. If it's no geek, great. If it's wrestling, great, I'll train that with them. I love all forms of grappling in the sense that I feel there's so much I don't know. And being very honest and sincere about that, it's like this endless pursuit. So if I feel like I've reached a good place as a host and a broadcaster, and you can learn more, that learning curve, especially when you feel like you've really hit it well, you're not learning as much. You're picking mm. up little things here and there where you're like, oh, this makes my life easier if I do this. With jujitsu, jitsu it's never-ending. It's like, oh, man, I feel like my, my footlock game is pretty good right now. And you're like, I know nothing after rolling with Gary Tonin. Well, I'm an yeah. idiot. Like this, I'm a dummy. Like I should quit right now. And that honesty and that purity of it makes you so much more excited to go out there and learn go out there and teach. I found so much more through teaching people what I do know and transferring what it is because I see that, um, part of doing the teaching is being a performer. And so that's why I I sometimes have to hold myself back to give people notes when they're doing, uh, instructing. And it's like, sure, your technique is flawless, but we could stand to be a little bit better of how we inform people or use our voice or carry ourselves And the people who are very uh, responsive to me, I I give them notes. And I tell them, I'm like, listen, if you're really good with feedback, please use my skills as a performer and somebody who's done this. And I've coached people at the national championships. Like, I can help you. And when they're very receptive, it's so cool to see. It's so awesome. And you get really excited. Um, So, yeah, I found the real reason why I train, though. Okay. This is the real reason. Just trying to be less fat is really what it is. And honestly, dude, I'm not ever going to be a world champion. That's not one of my goals. I tell these guys, it's amazing if they have those goals. I competed in sports for 10 to 12 years every Saturday. That's what I did. Then for funsies when I got to college, every Saturday and Sunday was speech. And then it was coaching people in speech. Then it became, okay, I'm done with all that. I can enjoy my weekends. So when in jujitsu, people tell me like, "Hey, you want to come compete this week? We, we're all getting together. And we're gonna go. We're gonna go crush this." I'm like, I don't want to spend more years doing that. Right. I'm so happy. You know what happens when I show up at a tournament? Can I show agree? up at noon. I uh-huh. go, "Did you win? Yay!" And then it's like, "Did you lose? Oh, nobody cares." And just skip to, you know, give yourself a one day pity party. Carry we'll see you on. on Monday. You know what I mean? And I think that's refreshing because it gives me an outside perspective. Obviously I have a certain competitive mindset that I've learned from doing sports and doing speech, which is a total mind, if you would, but it was me getting in that mode of being like in speech, you would get ranked one through five, one being the best, five being the not best. And it was all subjective. So imagine. Versus sports where you're like, and the score, mm, yeah, scoreboard says we won. In speech, somebody goes, I just didn't like your topic. You're a great performer, but I just didn't connect to your topic. And you're like, my head explodes. What more can I do? I'm killing myself to, to make this amazing for you. And so I tell people, I'm like, I understand the mentality it takes to win and be a champion because I did that. So I try to loan that to people from an outside perspective, when I come to see these jujitsu matches, because I go, listen, did you get bad at jujitsu after losing to that one really good guy? No, so shut up, get back to work on Monday, go eat something fat right now. But for me, when I go train with these high level guys, like I'm, I'm not the best, but I can do certain things, and I'm getting older, and I'm learning how to kind of use my body a little bit better. And you know, you get a little wiser in certain areas. And there are certain things that I go, go, go gadget. And then I'm like, go, go gadget arm leg moved. Uh Oh, that's not what I wanted. Totally. So, um, but yeah, I just, I train because I like food and I don't want to feel as fat as possible. When I first started training jujitsu, I dropped 20 pounds and I was like, this is the cure. I figured it out. I'm going to be thin forever. And I was like, Oh, that's my plateau like, no, this is supposed to be a thing that helps me Jenny Craig my way on down. Right. You're telling me after 20 pounds, that's it? That's it. Oh, no. So after that, I just said, as long as I continuously train and I feel like I'm healthy, I feel like I'm doing something good. So that's what I've I've used jiu-jitsu for. And anything I can lend to those people who are being competitive or my teammates or the people who are curious if I'm good at jiu-jitsu or whatever have you, I try to loan my skills to them and pass it forward with the knowledge that I do pick up
0: with, with training. And then, um, this is more of a survey, a question. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be asking the people I'm going to be interviewing for this next project. Sure. The same thing. Is there a distinct difference between someone who's a black belt rolling with a black belt versus someone who is a black belt that competes?
1: It depends. Okay. It's an interesting question in this reason. Danaher had just put up a post where he said there are these secret black belts that they have who never compete. One of whom competed, I want to say, and people can correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say he competed not at a master level where it's the older guys, if you would, and they bracket them in their older age, but at the actual adult level. And he started late in life, which in jiu-jitsu is 30s, which is hilarious, by the way. But he started late in life. And he was so quiet about it. And he went and he won this adult division. And Danaher said, you can do it.
0: And this person remains anonymous, right?
1: I mean, I don't know him as a name, like okay. a Gordon or uh, a Keenan kind of a name. Sure. But we've heard from Gordon and Gary. They're these guys who just you never hear of. They're in the blue basement with them. But they're amazing. So, yes, there are levels, I would say, on a whole. If you're looking at the whole scene of it and you go, oh, yeah, that Josh Hanger guy, that's a black belt. Sure, He competes. He's amazing. Look at that guy. I still always like hearing those stories about those hidden beasts that we don't know about. So as a blanket statement, I'm I'm sure you could say like, yeah, you know, by and large, there's different levels. These guys who compete really are a different level because when you do train with them, they're just toying with you. They're, they've literally just – they've done so many rounds with trying to kill each other that when you're rolling with them, you're just kind of like, I'm not really necessary here. They they could be literally rolling with a grappling dummy as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, yeah, there is hope for those individuals who just kind of compete and maybe not the, like, top caliber people. So I think it depends. But, yeah, I, I would think it's a fair assessment to say those who compete as a black belt tend to be that top tier talent. And that uh, there are always some exceptions of those uh, minuscule people's name that you don't know of. And then all of a sudden, you just come over and they're like, they just wrecked my life. And I don't know who they are.
0: So, contextually, you mean there is the exception for the non competitive black belt? Yeah, it's
1: really hard for to me. Be I've, that I've never been the type that says always or never because I hate those statements in the sense that they aren't factually true. I think by and large, things can be true, but whenever somebody says always, my first thought is, well, what if this person exists? What if this person exists? what if this exists? And I don't like saying exceptions to the rule. I just like saying, like, I think there's a lot we don't know, but if you're asking me to compute a math equation, I'd be like, oh yeah, this actually checks out. Like, it's got a 70% or 80%. Yeah, it's a pretty high percentage. That's a pretty dominant amount of people. It's just, it has a certain level of subjectivity of do you think this person's black belt is a little bit more special than this person's who's maybe not an active competitor? And I think the other thing to consider is some of the best competitors are not the best teachers.
0: I've experienced that in both Muay Thai. I, I, I've done five smokers fights, one of mm-hmm. them all, but the better ones who showed me are jab specialists yeah. who are like, Oh, I'm only three years in.
1: And so to me, watching those individuals who are amazing teachers, I think they're just a different spectrum of the art that you could totally put in that equation too where you go, okay, well, cool. Is there a different level between those competitive black belts who teach and then those guys who maybe don't compete who teach as well? Um, I think it's just a matter of perspective. And I think the hardest thing about it, much like with my speech where you would get evaluated on if somebody – resonated with your topic. They may be like, man, you're an amazing performer. I just didn't like your topic. I think the same thing happens with jujitsu where you go, you're just not my teacher. You're amazing for what you do. And that was the hardest part when, you know, I took a break from 2009 is when I started training and I just, I had to take a break for family reasons. And much like I'm sure you can understand, uh, there was a passing in my family and then you just, you hone in and you take care of your family. And then after that time, I said, I'm going to allow myself. I'm never going to stop paying for the, uh, the membership because that would tell me I'm quitting. And I didn't mind. I was like, I hope that goes forward paying for somebody's instructor fees or somebody's, sure. uh, you know, training fees to keep the gym open. I didn't mind that. I just was like, if I d- stop paying that fee, it's my way of saying I'm not going to come back. And I'm not that guy. It's interesting how something
0: that small
1: it's can keep so you in the stupid. game, right? Yeah, it would. Because mentally, I just, I don't quit at things. So I rather than quit and <laughs> think I would come back and save money, I was like, I love the sport of grappling. Even that small little gesture is going to both keep me in and I think do something good. And they didn't mind. They were just like, oh, we're going to cash this check. And I was like, that's fine. So when that happened and I finally got to come back in 2012, I was going to all these different gyms and I noticed something different at each gym. And I'm so happy I did that because I didn't know I'd be doing a podcast. I didn't know anything about the sport other than I had a true affinity for it. But it made me know the minute I got into my gym, I was like, this is home.
0: And this is Valley Martial Arts, Yes, Valley
1: Martial Arts is my home gym. Um, I train mostly no gi or gi with them. And then, um, you know, the podcast takes you different places. Sometimes people call me up and they say, hey, would you come train with us? And I'm like, absolutely. Can I do an interview? And the beautiful part is you do an interview with an athlete, they give you a different, very different interview. Once you've trained with them a couple of times. It's just so magical when you go and you train with them and they get a different sense of, hey, this guy's trying to explain what I'm doing. And it allows me to have some insight to when I do see them compete, I go, hey man, I experienced that shoulder pressure right there. Like you're money in that position. Sure. And uh, I think it gives you like a little bit of extra. But yeah, uh, Value Martial Arts is my home gym. But now when people call me and they're starting jujitsu for the very first time or my friends are starting or you, you name it, I can say with a certain amount of certainty where I say you should go to this gym, even if it's not my home gym. And I would love to have them as my training partners. It's so much more important to me that they train somewhere that feels like home to them. And I think part of that is finding the right balance of instructor and how they teach and how they connect with somebody. So I think that's the subjective side for them is, you know, sometimes I tell people I'm like, they're not a bad teacher. I just probably shouldn't learn from them. But if you're it's not your physical
0: guy, and creative math within your, Oral existence. And again,
1: I mean, I've just told you guys here, I'm not a highly competitive person in terms of jujitsu in that way. So I would probably tell somebody like, hey, if you're going to compete a lot, you need to go to this gym. Or if you're just a hobbyist, maybe come to this gym or that gym, you know. And I can tell them that. And it only became something that I knew because I was trying out all these gyms and all these places. And eventually some of these people recognized me. They're like, you were that guy. And I was like, yeah, that was me. I was that idiot, and now I'm an idiot with a microphone, and I'm interviewing people.
0: Nice. But, but at, at, at this point, since uh, for the listener and viewer, mm-hmm. if in case they don't know, uh, Valley Martial Arts is an affiliate, affiliate gym of John Michel. Correct. Is John Budd a
1: black belt now? Is he brown belt? I think he's close. I think okay. he's like, he just got his last stripe, I think, recently. Four stripe
0: brown belt. Okay. Yeah,
1: so it's coming.
0: And Marcelo De Pauli is a two-stripe black belt?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: Right. So, do you have you rolled at Mothership HQ? Yes. Do you feel a difference? Yes. Between Mothership and Valley? Yeah. If please explain.
1: I will go ahead. Um, there's just a difference in terms of learning directly from the master. Marcelo is an amazing instructor, um, and he brings us some really, really good instruction from uh, from uh, Jean Jacques that we feel honored to be able to learn. From that lineage. So when you get there and you just start learning these things, you're like, oh, okay, so you might be at the same level with them. There's something about that room that when you go in, John Jacques. Yoda's it, coming out. Yeah, it, this is so hard to explain to people. Like, and I, I don't know if people feel the same way I do on this, but when John Jacques shows up, he's not looking to see how good these guys are. As much as they think differently, He's seen so much jiu-jitsu in his life that I'm pretty sure he's like, "That oh, was pretty good," you know. Like that's that's about as good. Good as for be. you. You know what I mean? Like he just loves the element of people training and seeing that. I think that fulfills something in him. I think that's why his calling was to be a teacher. And I think there's a certain satisfaction he has. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's happy when these guys win medals or they do something great in his room, and that that's amazing but I don't get the sense from him. And again, only my sense that if you crush somebody in that room that he goes, I saw you do that. Mm. Wink. I think he's really a person who just goes, Hey man, you really put that technique together. Good for you. Having said that the people who are there sometimes still see their idol, their guy, and they want to do something. You want to Show your your jitsu dad if you would how good you are and that you're you're trying and sometimes it's just the competition between the the guys who are in the room where they just want to have good roles like it could be any number of things and I just know that when I've gone and I've trained at the mothership people go hard and I'm okay with that it's just a different beast you know we at Valley Martial Arts Center we're your average Joe's gym you know we're we're happy to have you in we'll give you good roles but we're not gonna try and kill you you go to Jean-Jacques Better rap. It's it's going to be a good day, man. It's going to be tough and I think there's a place in this world for both, but I think we both operate off of the understanding of the principles of the Jean-Jacques affiliation. If you go to either of our schools, you will be welcomed, you will be treated accordingly. We will show you great training if you ask for it and if you want hard training, we can go hard too. So that's why when you, you bring up the Yoda, it's like one of the benefits of having the Yoda there is Yoda don't have to get up and do much. But if Yoda chooses to fight, that's going to be the best scene of the movie. For sure. So when you get to watch Jean-Jacques do his thing, and I've, I've never rolled with him, but just watching him, there's so much jujitsu knowledge in him. There's so much that I feel we we only get little segments of it. And I've asked him in interviews before, I'm like, when do you decide what you're going to teach when you go to a seminar? And he's like, uh, eh, that morning in the car. And I'm like, what? Totally. <laughs> like, what a great first jujitsu world problem to have that he could just wake up in his car. Like, I'm thinking if I'm going to teach a class, like, the week before, I'm like, oh, man, I gotta, I'm got i on a notepad. It's just because that's what he grew up with. When he was a kid, he was a baby. He was doing jujitsu. And, and to have that ability to be that person is so cool. So... Yeah, I would say there is a difference.
0: I, I'm I, I have a couple of good friends who train at JJ's HQ. Yeah, and a couple of like you know very well warm, uh acquaintances. Yeah, yeah. They did a seminar. It's the same seminar where Henzo Gracie was showing. What did he call it? The paper bag. The, the zip plastic lock bag. bag. Yeah,
1: the paper bag or right. something like that. Yeah, the yeah. plastic bag yeah, or something you. like
0: that. It's the same seminar, right? <laughs> yes. And John Jacques was showing all these techniques and. Few of them were like, dude, we never learned this motherfucking technique at yeah. HQ. Yeah. Dude, Master JJ, where where did you have this salt and pepper shaker at? Dude? But it's
1: it's beautiful because Henzo's was one that we were all trying to rep. I remember in the months after, I remember seeing that and going like, everybody was trying to do it. And then I love the fact that John Chuck's like, okay, all right, dog, I see what you do there, Henzo. Because it's a family and it's a, it's a little beautiful it competition. Kind of. But the the beautiful part about John Jock doing it is just watching him. I'll tell you this much. If you watch people interact with him, they are truly excited to see him. And it's really cool to watch people meet him for the first time. And we in the association, we might have a different relationship with him just based on, you know, being in the association. But there's something really, really Great about when I'm out at an event and I remember him coming up and saying hello to me. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't have to come say hi to me. You're, you're Jean-Jacques. I'm just right. a dude, you know? And, and it makes me feel like the guys who are the true OGs or the true people that we look up to, it is so welcoming that they respect what I do. And you know, sometimes you wonder because you know we're we're building this, we're putting the foundation steps there. You wonder who's listening. Sometimes when you first start this, it feels like you're talking into a void. You know, when we first started verbal tap, we're like, we don't know who's gonna listen to this. And then you find that people are listening, and then they they want to interview. At one of the holiday uh, competitions, I go to say hi to John Jock, and he goes, Hafa, good to see you. So when are you go to interview me, and I was like, What? Are you asking for an interview? He's like, Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, but I've been thinking to myself, I'm like, if you want an interview, I'm, what, I'm not going to say no. So just tell me. Okay, fine. And I'm like literally getting my stuff out. I'm just like, that's so cool that he has a, a certain kind of rapport with me where, you know, he just wants to talk about the good charity and bring attention to that. And he knows what I do and he knows that's a way that we can do that. So I think that's pretty dope to to have that standing now where – um, you know, more and more people kind of get what I do.
0: The first set of uh, producers that I had, and shout out to uh, all of Steve, Travis, and Justin, are wrestling heads. Mm. Total. They, they don't train in jiu-jitsu, yes. but they're just wrestling heads. And for them to go, "Oh my god, is John Joxer?" Because the ADCC four yeah. subs, it, it went. You know, it crossed over to people who just do wrestling. Yeah.
1: I, well, I think the weirdest part to me is we take it for granted cause we see him all the time and you know, we're in Southern California. Some people fly in from all over the place just to train and meet with him. So it's pretty dope. But there was one time when I was doing an interview with John Jacques and it was, I think at the world expo, this is maybe about five, six years ago. <laughs> There's a guy over on the side while I'm doing the interview and he sees me and I see him and I go, Oh, he's wants a you know, photo or something with John Jacques. So I, I closed down the interview I go to the guy. I was like, hey, man, do you want me to get that uh, camera? I'll get a photo with you and John Jock. He's like, no, I want a photo with you. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. You don't get a photo with me when you have John jacques right next to me. Of, you,
0: of like, course.
1: Like, what are you doing? At least wait till the man's away. Like, totally. Conceptually, I couldn't get over it. And to make matters worse, he had John Jock take the photo of us. And I just, my brain melted. I was like, this is not the way it should be. And of course- Jean-Jacques is so chill that he's just like, eh, no problem, just takes it, doesn't think anything of it, but I'm just like, I'm freaking out because I'm thinking like, oh God, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so sorry, and you want to be like, Jean-Jacques, I'm so sorry, and he's just like, dude, I don't care, man, like, I have, I live a great life, I'm good.
0: Hey, can you give me ten more minutes? Because yeah, we have absolutely. the next talent coming in, but I don't want to take too much of your time. No, absolutely, uh, not. There's so much more I do want to grab as far as for information-wise from sure. you, you know what I mean? Uh, I- I'm going to have to ask you as a peer,
1: Absolutely go for it.
0: So I, I also left the academy because I had a falling out with a black belt. Okay. Former friend. Okay. But do you think and, and I know I can get dropped, you know, I'm I'm only a white belt. I'm forever a white belt. I trained in Muay Thai, sure. Yeah. yeah. Did smoker fights. But in this particular setup, for a broadcaster, yeah. Is Jean Jacques the first location to learn about jiu jitsu so that way you can broadcast in an MMA and jiu jitsu centric world?
1: Interesting. Um, I mean, it's never hurt me. I'll, I'll tell you this much. I walk in as a schlub in a number of places and then people oh, will go, Oh, come on, man. No, but you're I mean, you're a purple belt now. Belt? I'm a purple purple belt, yes. Uh, Ain't so no schlub. I just love the idea of being like, oh, Excuse me, please. It's a purple belt. Thank you. Um, no, what it is, is this I'll tell people I'm a purple belt. They go okay, because you're a host, so they figure you get held to a different standard, you know. And again, they don't see the Elvis black belt. Yeah, so I'm like, listen, I don't know if you guys know the celebrity to this thing is not super high. (laughs) Maybe one in a million people recognize you. So no, I didn't just get it. Because there I go, because I mostly put in the time and I roll okay. I'm not bad. But the thing that really solidifies is, is when I say, uh, yeah, well, I train at John Jock's uh, affiliate uh, called Valley Martial Arts Center and everybody stops and goes, John Jock, oh, I love John Jock, it's amazing, I love, and they tell you a story of how they love him and you go, mm-hmm, yeah, he's really cool. There's an affinity toward that. So it's never hurt me uh, in that sense. And it's always given me a little edge of credibility in a very nice way. I think it's difficult. You mentioned the falling out sort of stuff. I never like that. It's tough. It's tough, dude. And you broach it with so many different people. And sometimes they don't want to talk about it. And sometimes they do. And it's hard to find out if people do or don't. Um, I'm of the mindset of, listen, dude, I'm trying to take this sport in a good direction. Positive, fun, uh, doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think that I have certain skills that I, I give to this sport. And that I do differently. And I feel like I feel good making that contribution. And I don't believe that you should minimize what contributions people do. So I do a part. It's a small fraction. But there are other people who do big parts. And I think it's really cool to see everybody collaborate and do those things. When it gets really sucky is when people start talking about how they left their gyms or, you know, how they don't train at certain places anymore. And I'm always of the mindset of, listen, I will talk to anybody. I will train at any place. I will go to these people and I will make them feel like they're at home. I think a good host really, really makes you feel at ease. And I think there's a real big difficulty in trying to make people feel at ease when they've been excommunicated. And so for me, I'm always like, listen, I'm not here to talk about that unless you want to, but it is part of your story. And I think that the more you run away from your story, the more questions people are going to have. Sure. But the more you can address it, the more is there. So I've always told people, I'm like, listen, I'm more interested in the person you are. And if you've had problems with other people, you know, it's my hope that you've addressed those problems with those other people or that other things can clear up because I will say this and I think maybe you can understand it on a a certain family level like my dad and I after my mom passed we stopped fighting with each other we didn't fight a ton but we just stopped because we understood that time is precious and that's not to say that people won't wrong you in certain ways that you need to remove yourself from the situation but a lot of the things that really come up especially in jiu-jitsu is that you spend 10, 17 years with these people and then all of a sudden you're on the outs and to me I think that's not a healthy form of communication and I feel that if you really did have a connection to those people it's my hope that you as a person not as a jiu-jitsu performer or athlete or competitor that you make amends with them so that you don't have regrets on what it was that helped you to build those relationships I think the people that I've had issues with in my life. Somehow we've kind of turned out okay, you know. And we've we've had conversations. We've worked a, it out. Well, I had a performer that in speech we competed amazingly together, and we were known as almost like a, a Lewis and uh, uh, Key Martin and huh. Lewis uh, kind of uh, thing. And in our senior year, we would have been guaranteed to be a really powerful team. But he was doing things that I thought were very detrimental to himself, to other people, and to myself. And at a certain point, I said, I'm not going to perform with you. I don't care how successful we could be. It's more important to me that you go fix whatever you need to fix. And if you don't want to fix that or you don't want to fix us, go somewhere else. And it hurt him. And I remember being like, hey, man, I'm not trying to hurt hurt you. I just need to be away from you. And as much as I would love to be successful at it, success isn't that important to me. And we competed separately. He did amazing on his own. I was really happy and proud of him. And then afterwards, you know, we finished competing. And then, uh, you know, at senior year, we didn't really talk that much. And at the end, I was like, hey, man, have a good life. And they cut him. It was just like, what? And he told some of our, our friends. They were like, hey, man, you should really go up and you should talk to him again, to me. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not there. I, I wish him well. I just I don't. I'm
0: glad him. you said that. The, the I'm not ready part.
1: I knew At a certain point in my life, and again, what was I, like 25, 23, 24, you don't have your emotional capacity, but you know, if you know you don't have that emotional capacity, be honest with it. So years later, we made up and we had talked it out and he came and he was very honest about what he had to improve in his life and what he did. And he still went back and forth on things that he was doing. But I, I told him, I was like, hey, man, we probably should still perform together. And one year he called me up and it was like 2012 or 2013. And he said, Hey man, I really want to perform with you. I'd like to be on your show. And I go, here's how my show works. I go, you pitch. I don't just favor you. I don't do that. I want you to pitch. If you've got a good segment, we're going to do it. And he's sitting there and it was rough. And then he pitched something and I said, that's a good idea. Let's do it. And I was so happy. I brought him back on my show because I would have lived in a bad place of not seeing us perform again, but we could be brothers again, and we could be those people. And not everybody has those opportunities, so I understood that. I respected it, and I think now we're we're all the better for it. And I think that every time he sees me do something, he sends me a note, and he's like, "Dude, I see you're crushing it." And I send him notes, and I'm like, "Dude, you you were in this commercial. You're great. You're this," and it's sincere. So to me, when I see these jujitsu guys who get to this place and everybody's got these giant egos and they can't let go, I understand it and I can respect it because we're with each other all the time and egos and crazy things get in the way and life gets in the way and sometimes people double cross each other. But if you sincerely do have a thing and you examine the relationship and you think that there is something that is not OK, I think you do owe it to yourself to at least examine the possibility of what if to reach out. Because again, and that comes from me saying, when my mom passed, I'm like, you only have so many years on this world. You cannot become so obsessed about always being right and better and yeah. Even though you than, are right. You can be, but I feel like with some of the biggest regrets people have when they're on their way out and you've seen people die is that you've seen them say like, I really wish I would have had more time with these people. And I felt so good that for that moment in 2012, 2013, when my buddy came back, I said, we performed like no time had passed. And it meant maybe nothing to our audience other than maybe a sketch. But to us, it was a redemption of years that we lost. And I feel like in jiu-jitsu, that's a very similar thing when people go different ways. And so it's always my hope. And I, I've seen things, I've seen reunions happen in front of me where I've seen those guys like, Say what's up to each other. I don't report on that. I'm not TMZ. I'm not here to tell you like, hey, I was at a club and this guy got together with this guy and they were exchanging techniques at ADCC. They're going to come together and they're going to go ahead and crush it. I say, what's the real story? And if they want to talk about it with me, they can talk about it with me. But I'm so happy when I get this backstage exclusive information and I see people who shouldn't be talking to each other, talking to each other again. And I say, you know, just for my own humanity, I'm happy that they're talking and
0: to have witnessed that and it's it's something in your in your memory
1: and I try yeah and I'm like I'm privy to it and you get so much uh, privileged information sometimes as a media guy sure and uh, I just say that's their story if they want to tell me about it that's cool if sometimes they bring it up and I say let's talk about it I thought it was a great moment and I add my two cents into it but I always feel like they have to bring it up maybe somewhere else or with me and then we can talk about it. But there's so many little moments like that that I'm like, I get really happy about. So that's, that's my own little wish in this really convoluted world of different cultures, different beliefs, different perspectives. If you need to pull yourself away, do that and be healthy. But sincerely ask yourself at a certain point, especially with how some of these breaks happen, is it really worth it? Are you yeah. really, really worth seeing that whole relationship that you built over all those years go away? And if the answer is yes, then be She'll yes. be it. Yeah. But if that answer is, I don't know, do some self-examination.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ralph, uh, that's a brilliant close for now. I'm hoping <laughs> I get you back on this mic pretty soon.
1: I will be happy to come back uh, anytime.
0: Uh, I mean, I haven't even touched on, I mean, I, I'm a long-form guy. I want to talk about what the problems that you went through when someone passes because i pre-production, you know, sharing these stories about my dad passing. Yeah. You know, there's there's the whole element of you being a speech instructor. Mm. I'm sure there's so much stories behind that.
1: You know, I mean, again, it's stuff that I love sharing. I always think of it like this. I tell people and it's kind of what you're doing right now. As I say, we're going to close this chapter. We're going to revisit a chapter in a couple months or a year or something. And I love it. I had one guest recently tell me, (laughs) He actually, when we were on air, he goes, it's been five years since you last talked to me. And I was like, who remembers that? Where have you been? You never know,
0: dude. I've experienced the same thing as an interviewer and an interviewee. (laughs) This
1: is just so funny that like he came and I love the fact that he's doing it as a joke. And my joke then became, why are you counting? What's wrong with you? You should have something better to do. You mean to tell me you put a Google reminder. It's been like it's another year. Raph hasn't talked to me. Uh oh, Dude,
0: you never know who takes what personally.
1: Dude. <laughs> but the best part is he was saying it in jest. And then I immediately had to be like, shut up. Stop doing that. No one cares. So, yeah, of course. I'm totally fine with that. I love the fact there's a lot more to talk about. I'm always happy to do it. There's tons more. I feel like this could have been a Joe Rogan three-hour pod. Absolutely, man. And again, I have such an appreciation for what you do. It's very, very um, appreciated that you would bring me on. I love being able to tell the stories of what I see in jiu-jitsu and grappling. And like I said, man, we're all trying to pay it forward and make it bigger and do the next thing. So these things are helping.